All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good to see you. Good to see you online as well. We're so glad that you're worshiping uh, the Lord with us today, and uh, we're going to have a really fun morning. And so, um, more than that, we're going to honor the Lord this morning, right? And uh, it's going to be great. So, I'm going to encourage you to do a couple of things. Um, if you're in person, uh, take out your bulletin, your worship folder, and a lot of stuff there. If you're online, there should be links to most of this information on uh, YouTube and Facebook. So, the first thing we'd like to ask everybody to do is fill out a communication card. You guys pretty well know the routine, but um, we ask everybody to fill one out every week. Uh, online, there's a digital communication card. And again, every time one of our guests fills one of these out, we like to honor that. Uh, we give $5 in your name and each of our, your family members' names to our partners at Monroe Middle School. They have a fund that supports families in crisis right here in the neighborhood. We love to support that fund, and we love to honor you when you fill out one of these cards. Of course, if you've been coming for a long time, maybe, maybe, maybe like Mark, you've been here since in the beginning, God, something like that. Something like that. Uh, we'd love it if you'd fill one out as well. We love hearing from you, and we love knowing what's fresh and new in your world and in your life. And uh, as much as anything, we love knowing how we can pray for you. And so if there's something we can pray for you about, please don't hesitate to let us know. I just want to highlight a couple of things. Uh, there's, uh, you know, various announcement things that are happening. Um, the primary thing I think I want to focus on is our kids' summer events. Uh, we're kicking off um, our summer outreach for kids and kids' ministry uh, starting on August 30th on some Friday nights, three Friday nights in a row there, August, or uh, I said August, July 30th, and then August 6th, August 13th. Um, We've got a, a bikes night, we've got a water night, we've got a family movie night, all kinds of good stuff for kids. So two things you can do to help with that. Number one, you can invite young families that you know to participate. The kids are going to have a great time, going to be an awesome time. Uh, it's a good date night for mom and dad, typically. So invite them to come and be a part of that. The second thing I would encourage you to do is volunteer. Uh, we need more volunteers to help do these nights and there's nothing super complicated about it. It's a ton of fun and a lot of fun. I'm going to volunteer at some of them, but I'm certainly looking forward to being a part of what God is doing here. And so uh, if you'd like to volunteer, you can let us know on your communication card and, uh, or just see Julie. She would love to talk with you about that. And I think Rachel had something she was going to mention as well. Yes. Speaking of volunteer options, we have two other opportunities to volunteer. One of them is the snack team. So, apparently, y'all used to eat food on Sunday mornings. That was before <laughs> my time, and I'm a little sad that it's not happening. So, we're going to make it happen again. The, the snack team will start to start up here again, and um, if you would like to be involved in that in any way, um, it can be as easy as just helping set up the table and put the snacks out, help get coffee ready, that kind of stuff. You can help make snacks, any of that kind of stuff. You can contact me, and I'll get you um, situated and hook you up with Donna, who's kind of in charge of that. Or Lynn. She knows all about that, too. Great. Another opportunity is the media team. Um, so we are constantly evolving back there. What happens, obviously, since we're live streaming now, we got a lot going on. We need more volunteers back there. And that does not necessarily mean that you need to know everything about technology because we can train you and there's simple steps and 
Craig has been so faithful serving back there every single Sunday, doing two jobs at once. He's doing the slides for this, and he's doing the live streaming, and he's kind of back and forth. So if you would like to get in the rotation helping back there, that would be awesome. And again, you can talk to me, and I'll let you know more what that's about. All right, so for now, let's worship some more, shall we?
So teach my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll call on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I'll call on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. There's some pretty powerful statements in that song. Even the line, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. I think we sing those, those lines and we don't think about the power and the truth of those lines. And that's true for this next song as well. Um, an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. Not reckless in the type of reckless that God didn't know what he was doing and he threw his love. Not reckless in that way. Reckless in the way that it's just crazy. Like, why would he give us that much love? It doesn't make sense to our human brains. But it makes sense to God. He has that love and he wanted to give it to us. He knew exactly what he was doing. But it is powerful and it is reckless in our mind.
Amen. So we'll jump into the message and into our Bibles in just a minute, uh, but I want to come back to one thing and uh, just, just talk with you for a second before we start the sermon. Is that fair? Are we sure? Because this part doesn't count towards the, you know, <laughs> the time I do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, we do have that, right? right? So here's the thing. Um, as we make our way through summer, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to start to hear us, as we did just a little bit ago, begin to talk about the need to re-engage in a variety of different ways as we sort of emerge closer to, I don't want to say going back to normal, but moving forward in whatever forward looks like. So one of the things we did over the course of the pandemic is we scaled a lot of things back as we begin to unfold a lot of things to get back to a lot of our mission and a lot of our ministry. That also means, among other things, a lot of us re-engaging at levels of connection in our life groups, re-engaging at levels of volunteering in a lot of our different ministries. And so we're already beginning to think very fall-focused and very forward-thinking in what we're planning. And we're going to plan some incredible things but I'm telling you, it's going to need us to go where we usually go 
in terms of the numbers of us that volunteer. And so that includes our folks online, that includes our folks in person, just that ability to say, hey, I'm going to find my way of serving God. God has wired me as a Christ follower, as a person who follows Jesus, to be a person who plugs in, a person who, who engages at the level of giving time and gifts and, and talents to the Lord and saying, God, use me how you want to use me. And so we mentioned uh, media ministry earlier. We're going to launch, uh, again, some new things there, and we're going to continue to enhance our media ministry. In fact, we're working actively towards a, a setup that will allow us to permanently mount cameras in the building and have a multi-camera setup, and we can train, and we can do all those things, but the bottom line is those things don't run themselves in a sense. And so uh, there's a variety of opportunities, whether it be media, whether it be kids' ministry, um, even this summer, a variety of ways to help. So you be praying about how God might have you find your way of serving him through the mission here at Harvest. Is that cool? So I got one more thing I just want to mention. I mentioned this last week as well. This is the part of summer where I began to look out at the coming year and think about where God would have us go in messages over the coming year. And uh, one of the things I want you to do for me is I want you to answer a question. And so I asked the same question last week, but you've had a little more uh, time to chew on it now. And so here's the question, and we put this little sheet of paper inside your listening guides so that you could answer accordingly. And here is the question. If I could ask Jesus one question, that question would be, what would that question be? And I'm going to go one step further. The reason we gave you these cards and not just ask you to put it on your communication card is because you might want to ask that question anonymously, and that's okay. If I could ask Jesus any one anonymous question, what would that anonymous question be? Sort of asking for a friend kind of style. Now, you might realize this, but uh, I might not know who wrote it. <clears throat> there are no anonymous questions with Jesus, right? Right? But nonetheless, if you could ask Jesus one anonymous question online, we would love to hear that from you as well. Obviously, there we're filling out a digital communication card to share that with us. But I would really love to know what your questions are. It's going to help me with some sermon prep as we write uh, for the coming year. So if you're taking notes today, you might want to take out your sermon outline. Uh, in your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 4 today. If you want to turn there, I want to ask you a question to begin since we're talking about questions. And here's the question for today. Why is it that when something happens to us as believers in Jesus, why is it that our first instinct is to pray? Fairly simple question. Why is it that it's sort of baked into us as believers in Jesus Christ that our first instinct when something bad happens in the world, when something good happens in our lives, <coughs> excuse me, when something challenging happens, when something difficult happens, why is it that our first instinct is to pray? And I want to address it from this angle. You've probably heard this before. Something difficult happens in the world. Something evil even. Might be a shooting of some kind. Might be a terrorist attack of some kind. And something, something awful happens in the world. And Christians online 
say something about praying. And people who are not Christians react to it with a sort of negative stance on that prayer. Like a, a sense of like, hey, you know, that doesn't really help. Or you're not really accomplishing anything when you're praying. Now, I'm not asking the world to understand our spirituality or our spiritual background. I'm not asking them to be believers in Jesus. I mean, I would love for them to be believers in Jesus, right? But, but, but they're not going to understand what they don't understand. But I think I have heard over time people say something along the lines of, hey, you know, prayer is just an escape from responsibility, for you Christians. It's like you just get to go pray and then you don't have to do anything. And that's a false understanding of what we're doing when we pray. And I want to show that to you today. To show that to you, I want to take you in the Bible to Acts 4. And so if you have your Bible, open with me today to Acts 4. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We give them away for free. For that matter, that goes online too. If you need a Bible, you let us know. We will send one to you. We love giving Bibles away for free. We think everybody should have one. So Acts chapter 4 is this interesting story. It, Acts chapter 4 sort of follows, if you think about it, Acts chapter, yeah, it's not a trick question, Acts chapter 3, which follows, if you think about it, not a trick question, Acts chapter, okay, so Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. This is where the believers had been huddled together, they were waiting on Jesus to send his spirit, and the spirit comes, the spirit of the Father, the spirit of Jesus comes and resides in believers. They had this incredible sort of crazy experience. You, you've read that story probably and heard that. And they are empowered by the Spirit. They are embodied by the Spirit. And the Spirit takes up residence. And now they're ready to launch the church. And Peter preaches that day. And, and thousands of people are saved. Where are they doing this? Jerusalem temple where was jesus crucified jerusalem not at the temple but nearby pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection of jesus so we're not even two months out from the crucifixion of jesus christ by the way, who arrested Jesus when he was crucified? They did bring Romans along, but it was the Jewish leaders, right? Who initially, and, and it ends up being both. Who crucified Jesus? Well, the Jews had no, the Jewish leadership had no authority to crucify Jesus. So they had the Romans do it for them. But that being said, when Jesus was on trial, and he went through several trials, and goofy trials, if you will, not, not fair by any stretch of the imagination, but he's on trial before the Sanhedrin, which is the highest court from a Jewish standpoint in the land. It's made up of 70 or so leaders 
in the Jewish religion, and Jesus stands trial before them. Acts chapter 3, Peter heals Peter, Simon Peter, right? Heals a lame beggar, right? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, take up your mat and walk kind of thing. Peter heals a man. That calls a crowd together. Peter speaks to the onlookers. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested by the Sanhedrin. Follow the logic here. If you're one of the other disciples, if you're one of the other apostles, if you're one of the new believers in Jesus, the people who hung out with Jesus the most, two of his best friends in the world have been arrested. The people who crucified Jesus have now arrested his two best friends and the leaders of your movement. Isn't that fun? That's just context for what we're going to read about today. So the Sanhedrin has them arrested. It's about three or so in the afternoon, and they decide, you know what, we don't have time to deal with them today, so we're going to wait overnight. We'll, we'll deal with them tomorrow. Peter, they ask Peter, hey, why, why are you teaching that Jesus rose from the dead? And Peter basically in a sermon says, because he did. Salvation is found in no one else, so there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And you might remember this famous verse when they saw, the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unskilled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Man, do I pray that would be said of us today. Because that's where I think real evangelism really takes place. Not when paid experts who have all the answers, which by the way, we don't have all the answers, know how to share the faith, but when people look at our lives and take note we've been with Jesus and it makes them curious. And so Peter again shares the gospel. The Sanhedrin, because they were fearful of the crowd, commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And they had them released. The question I want to ask you is, do you think it was natural that the church was praying in that moment? Yeah, I would bet so. Because again, these are the same people that crucified Jesus. They're wondering what's going to happen to Peter and John, what's going to happen to their movement. So I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 4, Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And remember, what they said was, no more teaching or speaking in the name of Jesus. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here was their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Now they reach back into the Psalms, the second Psalm to be specific. 
which interestingly is a messianic psalm. It's, it's one of the psalms that gives us great insight into Jesus as king, as Jesus as one who would be crucified and resurrected, what it means for Jesus to be the anointed one, the Messiah. Psalm 2, they reflect that. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They continue on in prayer. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, they're speaking to God here, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. against us and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus and after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken There was a visible, feelable, experiential response from God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And it goes on to say all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own. They shared everything they had. You get into generosity and some other things that began to develop in the early church. The thing I want you to see in this story that's so interesting to me is that they immediately turned to God in prayer and asked God to enable them to do the very thing they were told not to do. They were told, don't speak this name of Jesus. Who were they told that by? The most powerful people in their world. The equivalent of the Supreme Court, which from Jewish standards was both Supreme Court and Congress. Our way of looking at it. Of the nation of Israel. Also led by the high priest. So they've got all of the leadership of Israel telling them, keep your mouths shut. As it relates to the name Jesus. We don't want to hear any more about Jesus. A number of years ago I was reading somewhere and I came across this quote by Warren Wiersbe, a pastor from years past. He said, about a different context, but similar. He said, look, prayer is not an escape from responsibility. Prayer is a response to God's ability. And so I put that quote in your notes, I think. Yeah, it's there. Prayer is not an escape from responsibility. Prayer is a response to God's ability. What is he getting at? He's getting at the fact that prayer is this reminder that all the power, all the authority, 
doesn't, resi- doesn't reside in the people we think are powerful. That the ones who seem to be in charge are not the ones who truly are in charge. And so prayer is our connection with the one who really does know it all, the one who really does understand it all, and the one who really does have a plan moving forward. Prayer is not a way to escape responsibility from our circumstances. Prayer is connecting with God in response to His ability to do something in our circumstances. We've talked often in this series that prayer is looking for what God is doing so that we can join Him in that. Prayer is not an escape from responsibility. It's a response to God's ability saying, God, you show us what you want to do and we will act upon what you want to do. Let me say it this way. This is the one thing I want to convince you of, or really the singular point of today's message, that prayer resets my perspective on who exactly holds real power. Prayer resets my perspective. It changes my vision. That prayer helps me see things as God sees them. And prayer in doing so reminds me Who is the really powerful one? So let's get applicational for just a moment. There are circumstances in your life where it feels like you've lost control. It might be a health issue. It might be something at the workplace. It might be a dispute you're having with a neighbor or the friend or the city, the county. But how often in our lives do we end up in a place where it feels like that we're in tension and we don't have the power? It happens far more often than you think, and I can, I can prove it to you. Anybody besides me have control freak tendencies? Online, you... That's just any time the control part of us begins to emerge and we begin to want to take control and control the outcome to where we want. That's a sign. It's a signal. It's an indicator that we're struggling with this sense of who holds the real power. And what prayer does is it resets our vision. It resets our perspective so that we can see that it is the God of the universe who is truly powerful, truly in charge. Prayer reminds me that that power is not concentrated among the people in this world who appear to be powerful. That prayer is concentrated in my God who is infinitely more powerful than anyone else or anything else. And it goes without saying that God is infinitely more powerful than I am. And so, 
Peter and John were released but told not to speak about God and they gathered the people together and they prayed. And when you're walking with the Spirit, prayer is sort of this natural reflex because you realize how dependent you are on the Spirit for everything. Which is this reminder that when I'm prayerless, that when I pray less, that I'm trying to do it on my own. The seasons where I'm prayerless are seasons where I'm trying to do it in my own strength, in my own power. Rather than confessing a dependence upon the Spirit. It's in prayer that I remind myself that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in my parenting or in my job or in my relationships, in my friendships... Prayer has to be a piece of how I function as an individual who follows Jesus. Because prayer is my confession that I don't really have the power, but that God does. Does this make sense? For me, this explains why at times I struggle with maintaining an active prayer life. Because my human nature is to put all the responsibility and all the weight and to think that all the power rests on me. That the outcomes rest on me. That where things go rests on myself. So again, why is it that is prayer that we should turn to first? As Christians, why is it we pray in desperate circumstances? To be applicational with this and to run through the text again, I want to give you four reasons we pray under these kinds of desperate circumstances. Number one, we pray to be comforted by the Scripture, right? We pray to be comforted by the Scripture. This just makes sense, but in their prayer, they brought Scripture to the table. Right? They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's a good reminder. We're going to come back to that in just a second. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? Again, this is from the second Psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? That the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. What they're arguing here to themselves in a sense, but in their prayer to God, they are saying, look God, you decided that this is the way it was going to go with Jesus. You might remember when Jesus was having those 12 disciples follow him around all of the time, he kept telling them that this was going to happen, that he was going to be crucified. He kept saying that he was going to suffer, that on the third day he would be raised to life. And the disciples kept not getting it. They wanted a Messiah who was king. They wanted a Messiah who was powerful. They wanted a Messiah who was political. We're not that different. And Jesus didn't came to be a political ruler. He came really to be the king of kings he already is. But he came to also be a suffering servant. And this was predicted in the scriptures. And the only reason they would know this at this point is because in those 
50 days, there was time before the resurrection, or before the ascension rather, where Jesus was showing them again from the scriptures that this must happen. This would be one of those scriptures. I like to think of it this way when I'm praying. That when I pray, I would really like it if God would just talk back. It would be good. Let's think about this. Prayer, we've defined a lot of ways, but it's an ongoing conversation with God. I speak. I want God to speak. I speak. I want God to speak. When I think about when I am prayerless, Sometimes it's because I'm longing for God to speak, and I'm not hearing God speak, and I tire of that. Anybody besides me know that feeling? Here's the reason you don't hear audible voices the vast, vast, vast majority of the time. In fact, I'll be honest, I've never heard an audible voice from God. Because this is the voice of God. Because we have the voice of God in our Bibles. And so the voice of God speaks here. And so it's natural when I'm speaking in prayer for God to speak back to me from the Scriptures. Does this make sense? And part of what God does in speaking to us from the Scriptures is to comfort us. And part of what He does is guide us. And part of what He does is empower us, encourage us, strengthen us. And so my prayer life and my Bible life need to go hand in hand, which would make sense because we talk to us often about that, right? Eugene Peterson said, true prayer is not just talking to God, prayer is answering God, that God has already spoken in his word, and so prayer is a response to what God has already said, and we can see that in this prayer that they pray, right? Number two, we pray to be reminded that Jesus really is in control. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. Actually, they repeated themselves, if you think about it. What is it to be Lord? It is to be the one in charge. It is to be sovereign. So this is like saying, Lord, Lord, or like saying, sovereign, sovereign, except with two different words that mean the same thing. I would remind us that often in Scripture, that same title, Lord or Sovereign Lord, is applied to Jesus, not just God the Father. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven, the earth, and everything in them, and you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. And they get around to saying, these things that happened are the things you decided that your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Prayer helps me understand 
when it looks like God is not in control, when it looks like the world is winning, when it seems like the powerful of this world are getting everything they want, when I'm frustrated because it seems like illness is winning or it seems like pain is winning or it seems like the worst of humanity is winning. Prayer is my reminder that God is still sovereign Lord. That Jesus is still sovereign Lord. That he is still king of kings. That his in-chargeness is not in question. That his kingship is still well established. So depending on how much time you have today, you and I could spend the next hours and hours and hours debating how this works. In fact, I was reading a debate online this week. I'm a, a member of a variety of groups, you could say, in social media world. And one of my groups is, is sort of a pastor people group among my tribe. And so here are these pastor people, some of whom I know and some of whom I don't know, arguing away about this question. Is God sovereign? Or do humans have free will? And there is endless debate in church world about this. And beyond church world, in theology world, there's not only endless debate, there is much pride about one's perspective. Someone I read described this as sort of something to understand that, that, that fence posts would help us understand. And I think farmers with fences would understand this better. That, that, that fence posts sort of hold things in tension, right? That when we hold the fence or the barbed wire or whatever it is we're using to create the fence, that you need the posts really secure at the ends to hold things in tension. And that these concepts of sovereignty and free will hold in tension what really sort of makes sense in this world. That, that there is a fence post of God's sovereignty that makes 100% sense when we read our Bibles biblically, but that there is also a fence post of human responsibility and free will that 100% makes sense and that you have to intention see these things. No wonder it creates so much tension among us. Uh, I'm not one to get caught in endless theology, theology questions about how many angels can sit on the point of my pen or... At the end of the day, I'd like my theology to become practical. And so prayer reminds me that all I see is not all there is. Prayer reminds me that God is working even if I'm not seeing the evidence of God working yet. And prayer reminds me that God is still working out the final answer, the final word. Prayer reminds me that God's in charge. And if I'm honest, I am not.
But then again, that's a good thing, isn't it? (laughs) Because if you got what Brian's will decided beforehand should happen, it would be very Brian-focused, wouldn't it? Prayer is this great reminder. We pray to be reminded that God is in charge, that Jesus is in charge. Even further, we pray, number three, to be confident that Jesus will always bring good for evil, from evil. This is part of what it means for God, for Jesus to be in charge. That God is often in the free will of humanity and humanity doing what it does for evil. God is often working through those circumstances to bring good from it. It's why we love the reminders that come in both the Old and New Testament that God is working for the good of his people, for the good of his kingdom. Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, you know what? Remember his brothers who sold him into slavery? Right? Good riddance, no more. We can't stand your brother. Glad you're gone. He said to his brothers later when he was almost the most powerful man in the land that you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is how God works. Look at the crucifixion of Jesus, which seems like evil winning. If I'm there and I'm John... My hopes died when Jesus died. But realize that most of the disciples weren't even there. There was John and his mother Mary and a few other ladies, and most of the disciples fled for their lives. The movement was over. The whole thing was done. But this was God's plan. Our plan, when I write the plan, the plan never involves suffering. Which honestly is a pretty boring story. I wouldn't be a very good writer if I were to write the plan because the plan would involve things always going my way. There, would be, there wouldn't be that tension in the plot that would keep things interesting. But you'd also find that if I wrote the plan, I would subvert my own plan all the time because I can't make up my mind. Seriously, ask my family, Dad, what do you want for dinner? What do you want for dinner? (laughs) Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. These verses are anchors for us, for those fence posts that say, you know what? God knows what he's doing. When I have prayed with you in hospitals, at bedsides, these verses remind us that God knows what he's doing. When I've wept with you at the death of loved ones, God knows what he's doing. When you and I have over COVID, God knows what he's doing. There's a plan and he's working towards the plan. And when others want to hurt you or tell lies about you or stab you in the back. There's man's plan. But then there's God's plan and what God's going to do with it. 
and we get hopeless because we get focused over here on man's plan. You know what I mean? We get focused on what people are doing and how powerful people hurt us, and we get all lost because we've lost sight of the fact that God's working something that is for his glory and for his good and for the good of salvation of humanity. God was not caught off guard by what happened to Jesus, and God is not caught off guard by what happens to you and I today. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Does that mean we're all little robots? That God's just puppeting us? I don't think so. Again, I hold those concepts of free will and sovereignty and tension. But I do believe God has foreknowledge of everything. And that in spite of humanity's worst intentions, God still has a plan, and there's great hope in that. Number four, we pray to be empowered to serve Jesus, share Jesus, and serve others. I decided to modify my outline since we went to print with this. And so I changed it to say to be empowered to serve Jesus, share Jesus, and serve others. Often when I'm thinking about the hope that I want to have and the hope that I need to have, I'm looking for the plan to serve me, for God to serve my best intentions. If you want to find a whole lot of bad theology on the internet, go looking for the preachers on the internet that tell you that God will give you everything you want, that God will make you happy all of the time, that all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you will never suffer. That you will always have all the riches you ever wanted. That all you have to do is believe and write a check to them. It's really bad theology. According to this book. What prayer does is prayer reminds me that I'm empowered not to serve my own agenda, but to serve Jesus' agenda. Prayer reminds me that I am empowered not to share my name and my glory, but to share Jesus' name and Jesus' glory. And prayer reminds me that I am not here for the world to serve me, but that I am here to serve others. So they said, and ended their prayer, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, God, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they went forward, and people were healed. But never once did Peter or John or, or later Paul or any of the other apostles or disciples go, Oh, this is about me. In the name of Peter. Be healed. It doesn't work that way. You were empowered to serve Jesus and his kingdom. Prayer is not an escape from responsibility, but it's a response to God's ability that drives us back to our responsibility as Christians to bring the king and his kingdom to bear in this crazy world we live in. It's our responsibility to bring him to the table. And so they prayed for a boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they meeting was shaken. I read somewhere they said, look, the place was shaken, but they were not shaken. 
they were not fearful. They didn't pretend any of this. They prayed. A pastor of years past said, don't pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your tasks. So what does boldness look like for you if you were to ask for it? Well, I would suggest the starting place is just that, to ask for it. Speaking up for the name of Jesus, ask for boldness. Maybe for you, it means being willing to say something when saying nothing would be easier. You know, at work or at a restaurant or... We're all happy to go back out and eat, right? Why not share the name of Jesus? Boldness is taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves. That when people ask questions, when people take note that we have been with Jesus, how are you surviving this pandemic? I've got no answer to that other than <clears throat> Jesus, and I'm barely surviving. Jesus. It's not Brian carrying us through the pandemic. We certainly know at a church level it's not Brian carrying us through. It's Jesus. Maybe for you, boldness looks like getting intentional, beginning to create opportunities to get to know people, building relationships so that eventually they'll ask questions. Eventually, you can bring the name of Jesus to the table. Maybe it means getting involved in mission, in volunteering, in, in serving our community. And Julie, the reason we do these kids' outreaches it's not because kids need childcare. It's not because parents need date nights, although those are great things. It's because we want to share the love of Jesus. And so let's pray for boldness. They were encouraged, I think, because the place they were meeting in felt the visible, tangible response of God. When we pray bold prayers, we often experience visible, tangible, seeable, hearable results of God, except it's usually not earthquakes kind of thing. It's called answered prayer. Answered prayer. It's why I often tell us with the communication card, tell us when you pray and then tell us when you got an answered prayer because that's empowering, isn't it? It is. It is, it is prayer that leaves us confident that we're empowered to share and serve the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I needed the reminder this week that the world and all its power is not in charge, that Jesus really is. And I hope that this has been encouraging for your soul. And so to end today, what I want to do is I want to do our two prayers. I want to pray our prayer of salvation, and I want to pray our prayer of discipleship, or prayer of application. But I don't want to invite you to have me pray for you. I want to invite you to pray. Pray with me. So if you need Jesus today, the Jesus who was crucified and resurrected for your sins, if you need Jesus today, just ask. It's like this. Prayer of salvation. You say, dear Jesus, I know how broken I am, how wrong I am. To use your word, how sinful I am. And so, Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness, and I give my life to you. I ask you to take over my life and be my God, Jesus. 
be my sovereign Lord. Jesus, be in charge of my past, my present, and all of my future. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that prayer and Jesus answers. We pray that prayer and Jesus comes. It's powerful. And man, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time today, we'd love to know it. We'd love to talk with you about it. We'd love to talk about what it means to be a part of a church. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to talk about baptism and what it means to be baptized. We have a chance to be baptized coming up in a few weeks. We'd love to talk about all of that. A lot of you prayed that prayer six months or six years or six decades ago. And today... As much as anything, you need this message applied into your world, into your circumstances. And so if that's you, would you pray with me? Again, bow our heads online, bow your head. Maybe you would pray just like this. I'm going to go slow. You can echo it back. Dear Jesus, I thank you today that you are more powerful than any other place or any other person I look to for hope. Jesus, forgive me for putting my hope in myself or other humans when my hope is really placed in you. Jesus, I pray for myself and for others around me that we would look for your hand at work, and our current situation. That we would receive comfort in your word, encouragement in the fact that you are in control, confidence that you will bring good from evil. And Jesus, I pray, that you would please empower us to serve you and share your name in all our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus is good, isn't he? He is. He is. So here's how we're going to end today. You know, in the old days, right, way back, I don't know, three decades ago or something, we used to end with an offering. So we still take those offerings, by the way, and if you're new, you know, offering is not what we're after. If you're new, we want to get to know you. But those of us who consider Harvest our home, we gladly take on that responsibility. So we still receive those offerings. A lot of you give online. Some of you give through the basket or the offering box in the back. That's all good. Remember your communication cards. We collect those. They're at the basket at the door. We'd, we'd love to hear those from you. But here's the way we do offering today. When we walk out those doors, we offer our lives to the God who is sovereign, don't we? Isn't it part of the partnership to take the step of faith and say, God, I'm trusting that you have this next place and this next step. So I want you to go today in that spirit of offering, offering your, your all, your life to a God who really is working good in this crazy world.
Do you trust him? All right, go in that grace today. I love you guys.